The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. All right, so let me, uh, let me just tell you real quick what we're going to be doing in, um, in our Sunday school hour for the rest of the year, and then what we're going to be doing at the beginning of 2024. Can you believe I just said 2024? It's terrible. (laughs) So, I should probably read Ecclesiastes again. So, what we're going to do now through the end of the year is we're going to just kind of go over the basics of biblical counseling. We'll talk about why we're going to do that. And then at the beginning of the year, we're going we're gonna to actually do a study in Sunday school through the Pilgrim's Progress. And so we will we'll have, uh, I know everybody has a copy of Pilgrim's Progress, but we'll, we'll order one so everybody has the same copy. So, so if I say turn to page 27, um, everybody's on the same page. And so... We're looking forward to that. Um, If you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, um, we'll have an invitation after Sunday school. You can repent of that, come forward, and uh, we'll lay hands on you. And then you can get converted and then read Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure you do. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. We haven't decided which edition we're going to use yet. We'll use an original edition, but there are, there are different editions of the original edition. All right. Okay. Well, a number of years ago, um, some of you might remember, we did um, the uh, care and discipleship. Levels one and two, I can't remember if we did level three or not in Sunday school, and some of you actually went ahead and took the uh, exams as they were um, administered by the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, and, uh, and that was a, it was a very, very fruitful, fruitful time, but that was a while ago now, and so I thought it would be good if we took a few weeks to actually um, review some basics. Uh, and in a sense, what, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of do a, a, a primer um, on how to help each other. Okay? That's, that's what we're primarily talking about, is how we help each other. Um, The New Testament is absolutely filled with mutual obligations that we have to each other, to serve each other, to love each other, to help each other, to even correct or admonish each other. And that is part of what it is to be in the body of Christ. And so as we, um, as we do that, 
um, I thought what we would do is just kind of go over some basics. And so we're going to begin by defining biblical counseling, and we're going to start by telling you what it is not, all right? So first, biblical counseling is not, quote, Christian psychology, all right? Uh, By the way, we should be wary of joining together Christian and psychology, all right? Um, You realize that there are over 250 different approaches to psychology, okay? So 250. There's no such thing as psychology. What you have is a multitude of psychologies. And the fact is, is that psychology itself as a, as a discipline is, first of all, it's a soft science. What do we mean by soft science? Well, what do we mean by a hard science? Rocks, right? That is a hard science. Yes, Tony. Empirical. Observable, repeatable, all those things. It's empirical. So, so chemistry is a hard science, right? Um, soft science would be things that are not empirically demonstrable. So you have to understand that, so for instance, um, cultural sociology, okay? That'd be a soft science, okay? It's based on a series of, of assumptions about how things work. Some of those assumptions may be true. Some of those assumptions may be false. But when you get to the, you get to the realm or the discipline of psychology, there are a number of presuppositions that are held um, in that realm that we simply could not agree with. So, for instance, in terms of secular psychology, you have the whole issue of what is man. As, as, as a Christian, we have, as Christians, we have a very distinct view of anthropology. We have a very distinct view of what what constitutes human nature. A fundamental reality for us is that we're created in the image of God. A fundamental reality for us is that we're body, soul, people, all right? Um, One of the fundamental assumptions of secular psychology is is that man is an animal, uh, naturalism, materialism. So basically what, what you are is what can be seen under a microscope okay? or an x-ray or whatever. Um, another basic assumption, and, uh, and we're not going to go into all of the Jung and Maslow and, and, and Freud and all of that um, because all, all you have is just a series of of, of innocence, unbelieving, 
presuppositions about the nature of humanity and the nature of man's problem. But there's also the assumption that we're basically good people. Um, As as, uh, a human being, you have um, unlimited potential, or at least untapped potential. Um, Maybe you're not basically good, but you're at least a blank slate. Okay? But uh, th- these, are all, these are all things that are just common. Um, man is autonomous. That is, that man is, is in a sense independent. He has um, the power within himself to change. Okay? Th- 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 these are the fundamental assumptions of, of a secular psychological worldview. Well, what is man's problem? Why does somebody have to go see a psychologist, for instance, well, th- that ends up being problematic too because what is secular psychology's doctrine of sin? Well, there is no doctrine of sin. And so what ends up happening is within that overall framework, uh, personal responsibility is often denied. By the way, if, if all you are uh, you know, is just a bag of chemicals, and just reactions, then, and, and, and everything gets reduced to uh, brain chemistry, then how in the world can you be responsible for bad behavior? It's just brain circuitry that's, that's out of whack, that's, you know, and, and by the way, this is, this is where we're at. This is why... Um, such things that we've always considered to be heinous behavior are going to end up being increasingly justified simply because they can be justified on uh, brain chemistry, brain circuitry. Okay. Um, and so you end up having this idea of um, there's a denial of personal responsibility, and these are generalizations. Uh, what's wrong with man uh, and Disease model would be, of course, that goes that fits hand in glove with uh, all you are is uh, natural physical material, right? So you got the disease model, and so it ends up being just purely biological or physiological. And then, then you ask, so if you if you're going to go in and talk to a psychologist, what is what is man's standard for behavior? In other words, if you go in, you're going in for a purpose, right? I mean, you don't just go in because, you know, it's like the dentist. You've got to go twice a year whether you want to or not, right? You go in for a reason. But what's man's standard for behavior? Well, in, in, in the context of secular psychology, sinful behavior or desires, right, are, are not only affirmed, but they're legitimized, so right now in California, and thankfully I'm not aware of any cases that have been, that have been brought, but it's actually illegal, okay? If, if, if I'm a counselor, a licensed counselor in the state of California, and somebody comes to me and tells me that they're engaging in homosexual behavior and they want to stop that, in order for me to do what is pejoratively called conversion therapy, is against the law now, okay? 
In other words, what you have to do is you have to, you're, you're, you're affirming. That's one of the goals is to simply affirm and then legitimize where the person is coming from. And so as a result, within the context of secular psychology, guilt and shame are, are basically seen to be just as inherently bad, right? So the goal is to, to, get, to, to get relief from guilt and shame, not through grace and repentance, but through legitimizing the behavior, and so, if you, um, if you feel guilt or shame over something, uh, I, I want to say that most of the time, not always, but most of the time, if you feel guilt or shame over something, it's because you're guilty and you did something shameful. <laughs> Seems kind of simple, but anyway, we could go on and on. And so, let me just, let me just say that there are... There's more to psychology than those fundamental assumptions, but you never get away from those fundamental assumptions, all right? And so when we talk about biblical counseling, we're not talking about a a psychologized approach that's just been Christianized, all right? Biblical counseling, this is number two, biblical counseling is not based on... uh, on a therapeutic model of counseling, all right? So if I've heard, you know, and, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be offensive to anyone, but it's almost just in vogue to say, I'm in therapy, okay? So I'm in therapy. Well, what does that mean? Well, for us as believers, one of the things that we have to realize is that is that therapy, no matter what the therapy may be, and there are as many therapies as there are psychologies, therapy in and of itself does not have the power to change a heart. Um, Therapy, I'll just uh, jump ahead for a second. There have been a number of studies that have come out, and here's, here are the interesting statistics. People that have some sort of psychological problem, something that can be identified in the DSM, I think it's five now, um, which is the diagnostic manual that is used by psychologists. By the way, it's, it's changed radically over the years. Okay, So, for instance, it wasn't that long ago that gender dysphoria was a psychological um, malady that was diagnosed in the DSM, right? Now, gender dysphoria is not, um, is not considered a psychological problem. Um, but about half of the people who go uh, for therapy or treatment get better, and about half don't. And those, and about half of those that don't go, get better. <laughs> All right. I mean, so you see what I'm saying, right? So, so in other words, um, you know, you take a group of people, and half of, you know, you take ten people, they're going to go 
to some sort of uh, psychologist to get some sort of therapy, you can count on about half, half of them actually having some level of improvement in their life. But then you can take 10 people that don't go, and you can expect about half of them to experience some kind of improvement in their life. So when we talk about biblical counseling, we're not talking about a therapeutic approach. We're not talking about a a, a therapy that doesn't change the heart. So that leads to the next question, and that is, is all psychology evil? And I guess it depends on on, um, uh, how you want to define psychology and evil. But let me just say that we don't, we don't dismiss the, the discipline of psychology as a whole for the simple reason that there, are, there have been a number of helpful observations that the discipline has been able to make that actually can be helpful for us, all right? Um, in, in other words, there are, um, I don't know if you want to call it common grace or what, but um, you have people that are continually working. Um, take take uh, PTSD, for instance, right? So there are going to be certain common observations that go into making that as, as a category, okay? And so uh, all psychology is not, in a sense, evil. Uh, and there may be a degree of, of behavioral improvement. So, I mean, just think about it. You could have... Um, you know, a, a troubled person, and they sit down, and they're, talk, they, they, they're talking to a compassionate person. Uh, what, what I want to say is that it's not the specific therapy that may be employed that's helping. It's actually just talking to a compassionate person that might be helping, all right? So when we talk about psychology, we want to say, you know, um, there may be things that we can uh, that we can glean in terms of observation, in terms of certain common denominators of certain behaviors and things like that. But I also want to be quick to say that secular psychology in and of itself doesn't have the answer to transform somebody's life and heart. Right? That's, that's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus does. It's what the word of God does. So, the bottom line is that when we talk about biblical counseling, we are not talking about an integrative approach with other psychological theories or presuppositions. And um, years and years ago, there was a guy that wanted to have, um, he wanted to have a um, Christian counseling center um, at our offices when we were down in Gardnerville. And so I started talking to him, and I said, well, you know, what, um, what, what theories are you committed to? What therapies are you committed to? And, and I can't remember the, the details, but um, ever heard of Gestalt? <laughs> well, this, as a Christian, this is what he practiced, right? And you, you want to say, okay, um, yeah, I don't think that that's what people need, all right? 
What do people need? Well, people need God's truth. People need to understand God's love. They need to understand the power of the gospel. So when we talk about biblical counseling, we're not talking about taking, in a sense, Bible verses and then baptizing some sort of secular perspective with a few Bible verses. It's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about integrating theories and presuppositions. Here's one of the things to remember is that there's going to be a fundamental antithesis between the presuppositions of unbelieving worldviews with believing worldviews, right? And that fundamental antithesis ends up being what makes integration an impossibility. Uh, Number five, is it helpful to have a basic understanding of psychology? What would you say? Yes. Yes. What might be some reasons why we should have, let's say, maybe a basic understanding of psychology? Yeah, so, yeah, but here, so here's, here's the thing, and this, is, this isn't to pick on the answer. Um, so, are narcissists described in the Bible? And the answer is yes. But narcissism is not a psychological disorder, okay? It's, it's a sin, okay? It's sinful behavior, okay? So um, I don't think I help somebody that comes in and I tell them you're a narcissist, okay? Okay. Well, let's, let's, hold, let's hold off on that. Okay, let's hold off on that. I think there are other reasons why we should be, we should have a basic understanding. Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's, here's the thing, is that do we live in a highly psychologized society? Okay, so... And it doesn't matter, you know, any pastor could tell you, you sit down with somebody and it is very common for them to start explaining what they perceive their issues to be in psychological categories, psychologized terms. They come in and they, they're throwing around, and, and by the way, not, not necessarily in a sophisticated way, but just in sort of sort of a pop psychology way, right? So you've got all of these, you know, well, I'm this and I'm that, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm codependent and I'm, you know, I mean, the list goes on forever, right? And so actually having a basic understanding of what they're talking about actually may lead you to ask some good questions, all right? By the way, I've never had anybody come in and say, I am a narcissist, all right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, let's just say somebody comes in and says, Pastor, I need help. And, uh, well, what's, what's your problem? I'm a narcissist. My first question is going to be, okay, so I, I have a feeling I, I know what he means by that. But what's my f- next question going to be? What do you mean by that? Right? And so what I want to do is I want to be able to have I want to be able to have sort of a basic understanding when people are coming using psychologized terms 
so that I can know what good questions to ask them. All right, so that's um, what biblical counseling is not. What is biblical counseling? I'm going to give you just four, four aspects to this. First of all, biblical counseling is a ministry of the word of God. All right? So we, we recited it this morning. Um, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. What does it do? Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. And so when we talk about biblical counseling, we're talking first of all, of all about counseling as a ministry of the word. Okay? And when I say ministry of the word, what I mean is using God's word to help a believer with various problems by looking, okay, listening first, and then looking at and explaining texts of Scripture, applying those texts. Okay? That's what we mean. And so when Paul says, this is the, sort of the classic text on inspiration, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And is profitable for what? For doctrine, correction, reproof, and instruction in righteousness. So the word of God is profitable. That is, it is, it is effective and beneficial in teaching me how to think, doctrine, right? Correction, right? If I'm going the wrong way, what do I need? I need correction. The Word of God does that for me. Reproof. When do I need reproof? Okay, but all right. An honest soul. I need reproof all the time. Um, Absolutely. So do I. Um, And so it's not just a matter of going the wrong direction. Reproof may be um, actually um, more confrontational, right? And then instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, equipped for every good work. And so, so that's, in a sense, the ministry of the word. God's given us his word to teach us how to think. Do you not believe that that would cure us of the vast majority of what ails us is if we simply thought God's thoughts after him? If we had our minds renewed according to the truth of God instead of being conformed by the world. This is why... Too much time on social media, too much time taking in the the spirit of the age, it affects the way that we think. What do we need? We need God's word to bring our, our thoughts into alignment with the truth. Sometimes 
Biblical counseling ends up being nothing more than showing somebody what the Bible says about something so that they stop thinking about it in a worldly way or a secular way or a carnal way and start thinking about it. By the way, thinking is the, is the engine for affections and for doing. I'm not going to do the right thing unless I'm thinking the right thing. I'm not going to feel the right way unless I'm thinking the right thing. All right? And so, the Word of God is, is, is the very heart. And we're going to hit on this, by the way, about 20 more times because it just is so, so crucial. And so, our presupposition is that the Bible is sufficient to deal with our problems. The Bible gives us, in a sense, our true starting points. The Bible gives us our our, uh, view of the reality of God, the nature of man, our problem. Now, we'll get to... um, We'll get to the issues of um, mental illness and physiological problems that impact our psychology, so to speak, and the use of medication, okay? We'll talk about that later, right? All we're doing now is laying the, the, the basics of the of the uh, of the groundwork here, and so the biblical counseling is a ministry of the word. But secondly, it's discipleship. Okay, it's discipleship, um, and and so when somebody says, "Well, I don't like the the the, the title biblical counseling," I'm like, I'm, "That's fine." Call it discipleship. What, what, what are you doing when you engage in discipleship? You're learning to apply the word of God to your daily life so that you walk in the truth of God's word as God's child and as a follower of Jesus. Right? So if I have, if, if I have something in my life that is, um, that's an obstacle in me following Jesus. I have something that's an obstacle in my life that, that's keeping me from walking in the word of God, then uh, I need to bring the word of God to bear as a disciple. In fact, Daniel preached on this not that long ago. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, in verse 6 and 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, right? And so, so in a sense, that's discipleship. As I've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so I'm to walk in him. And how do I walk in him? I'm being, I'm being firmly rooted and being built up in him and established in the faith. That's discipleship. So if, um, if we'll just pick one of the, one of the most common sins that especially men, not, not just men, but especially men, struggle with anger, all right? Anger. Anger is one of those just 
top five, okay? So if you've got somebody and they, they really struggle with anger, and they come in and they say, I lose my temper. Spurgeon, by the way, has a great quote. So a man says to me, he lost his temper. And he said, well, you better not go looking for it. It seems like it was a good thing to lose, right? Um, <laughs> um, and so you have this, um, let's say, anger problem. And so as a disciple of Jesus, does the Bible talk about anger? Um, is anger a fruit of the spirit or a deed of the flesh? It's a deed of the flesh. So as a disciple of Jesus, I want to deal with the things that he identifies as sin in my life, all right? So when we talk about biblical counseling, really all we're talking about is, is learning to walk with the Lord Jesus as a disciple, Another way we could describe biblical counseling is sanctification through the word, the spirit, and friendship. So, sanctification. Um, One of the things, uh, my dear friend, Jim Neuheiser, Jim and I have been friends since 1997, and um, my relationship with Jim has been such a blessing to me. He's a professor of biblical counseling and pastoral theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. He pastored down in Escondido for many, many years. Is the director of the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. <laughs> Jim's, Jim's work in Romans 6 and its application to biblical counseling has been Absolutely edifying. His little book, you can see some of this in his little book called Help, I Want to Change. The Bible tells us what growing in grace looks like. The Bible tells us what sanctification looks like. So if I have, um, if I have an anger problem, um, you know, what, what I need more than anything else is not to say, well, you know, my mom didn't breastfeed me long enough, so I'm an angry person. Okay. Okay. I have to deal with, with my heart. That's sanctification. That's sanctification. Or you think of the Ephesians 4 passage, and you have this, this pattern of of put off and then put on, right? What are you to put off? You're to put off the old man. What's the old man? Life in Adam. That is, that is the, the, the sinful baggage I bring in. If, if you're not converted as a little tiny kid, guess what you've brought into your Christian life? Sinful baggage, right? And so you know what I need? I need to actually learn how to put off right? I need to learn to put off what? Put off stealing, put off lying. I need to learn to put on love. I need to learn to put on the new man. And so that's, that's it. it's just sanctification, right? Putting off is learning to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Putting on is learning to actually bear the fruit of the spirit and to walk in Christ, right? And so Really, in a sense, what issues of the heart are not addressed in Romans 6? 
or Ephesians 4, right? These are big, sweeping Bible truths, all right? Um, Finally, we would say biblical counseling is Christ-centered, right? So what what is the goal? We're, We're trying to point people to Jesus Christ. It is redemptive and it's dependent on God's grace and spirit, all right? Okay, so... Any questions so far? All right, great. Now, um, next we'll move to the contexts of biblical counseling. Where does biblical counseling take place? Well, first of all, um, the local church. The local church. The local church is actually the primary place. Why? Why? Because it's the local church where we have a mutual accountability to each other and where we live out our lives of following Jesus and we're here to help each other, right? So the apostle, I almost said the apostle Paul in Hebrews, but Daniel's corrupted me, so that is incorrect. The writer to the epistle to the Hebrews, who was not Paul, said... Um, watch out, brethren, lest there be in any one of you a sinful heart of unbelief, evil heart of unbelief, which falls away from the living God, right? So that's a warning. It's a warning for all of us. Watch out. Make sure that there's not in any one of us an evil heart of unbelief, right? Unbelief simply not being like full-blown atheism, but me not believing God in this situation, but me believing me, or me believing the world, or me believing the flesh, or me believing the devil, right? So make sure there's not in any one of us an evil heart of unbelief, which does what? Which falls away from the living God. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you have a, a, a view that, that you are so stalwart in your faith that you can't sing with a good conscience, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, then you don't know yourself as you ought. And so the writer says, you've got to watch out for that evil heart of unbelief. And then what's the remedy? Verse 13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, it's the very context of the local church where I have, I have, um, in a sense, a heightened, uh, 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 watchfulness over my own heart because I know I've got people who love me and I'm, I'm watching out for them. They're watching out for me. That's not, that's not putting my nose into your business. That's not you putting your nose into mine. It's just loving each other. It's loving each other enough to make sure that we get to heaven together, all right? It's loving each other enough to make sure that if, if I see something in you or you see something in me um, that we are actually able, or if I come to you and say, man, I am just really struggling with this and is a struggle with any sin dangerous? Yes. What do I need? Encouragement day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that I'm not hardened 
by the deceitfulness of sin. Robert Murray McShane said, the person who loves you the most is the one who will speak the most truth to you. It's easy to flatter, but faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Where does that take place? It takes place in the, in the local church. It takes place within Christian friendships. By the way, I've, I've said this at counseling conferences many times over the years. A Christian friend who loves God, who loves the word, and loves me can do more good in my life than 10 certified biblical counselors. Okay? A friend, a bosom friend who loves me, loves God, loves the word, can do more good to me than 10 certified biblical counselors. All right? And so, um, where, where does... By the way, so biblical counseling is not... Always, in fact, it, it shouldn't even be usually some sort of formal arrangement. There are times where that's necessary. But most of the time, it's just going to happen within the context of us walking with each other, loving each other, and being transparent with each other, right? And so sometimes that counseling context can be um, in a sense, a small context, one-on-one. It could be maybe um, you sit down with a couple because they're having trouble. Or you're sitting down with a family because they're having trouble. You sit down just with some fellow believers because there's a common struggle, right? So, in other words, the context is the local church within, within the context of Christian friendships And it can look like all different kinds of things. And most of the time, it is amazingly informal, right? Just doing good. Okay, so let's identify qualified counselors. Those that have earned a degree in psychology, right? Is that what makes a person a qualified counselor? The answer is no. So let me... Let me just say first, a qualified counselor is a Christian who is mature, who knows scripture, and is spiritually minded. Where would I get such a crazy idea? Well, from the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, and this is in Galatians chapter 6, 6, 6-1, brethren, even if anyone is caught... In any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So, what's the context? Brethren, so it's the church, if any one of you is caught in any trespass, right? So, some of your translations, I I don't know how the ESV does it, but it could be the idea of, of overtaken in a trespass, okay? Um, Not just caught as in aha, found out. That might be the case, but the idea is overtaken in a trespass. The person feels 
um, the person feels trapped, the person feels as if um, they cannot deal with this on their own. What does the scripture say? You who are spiritual. Now, you've heard this before. You've heard this in 1 Corinthians. You've heard this in Galatians. When Paul uses the term spiritual, he does not mean spiritual like we mean spiritual in 2023. In American culture, that's not what Paul has in mind when he says spiritual. For Paul, the spiritual person is the person who has the spirit. (laughs) It's actually quite simple. One thing that would, would really help is if the um, I don't uh, the New American Standard the ESV most English translations should capitalize S most of the time when Paul's talking about spirit or spiritual because Paul's often referring to the Holy Spirit. I think Paul refers to the Spirit way more than we think. So, who restores you who are spiritual? That is, you have the Spirit. So you can't say, "Well, I'm not equipped because." I've never taken any classes. If you have the Spirit, what are you to do? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Again, I think that should be capital S, in the Holy Spirit of gentleness. If you have the Holy Spirit, you restore the one who's overtaken by the Holy Spirit of gentleness. Why do you think Paul might qualify their restore in a spirit of gentleness? Okay, well, that's for sure, right? <laughs> Your approach is important, right? So if somebody, if somebody says, brother, I've really been struggling with this. I need your help. And you just go, What? <laughs> Are you kidding? I I can't help you. I don't even know what you're talking about. Right? That's not very gentle. Or, um, well, let's see. You're violating this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, and this scripture. And what you need to do is this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, and this scripture. Now go. (laughs) gentleness actually means that I and by the way gentleness does not always mean soft alright okay gentleness does not always mean limp-wristed okay Jesus was gentle but he also spoke truth and he spoke it in love and he spoke it directly Right? So being gentle means, so I have, in a sense, I, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to emulate my Savior, right? Who the bruised reed, he doesn't break, and the smoldering flax, he doesn't extinguish. So I want to be gentle like my Savior. I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness, which means I go to this person with, with a sincere desire to help them. Right? I consider my approach. There's an element of wisdom there required for gentleness, is there not? 
And then what's the next part? Looking to yourself so lest you too be tempted. Why would Paul say that? What's that? Oh, yeah. This is where great caution is required if you're helping somebody. Is it possible that a person is struggling with something that they're still taking a tremendous amount of delight in? Duh. Okay. Um, Is it possible that in recounting our struggles or our sins to others, we may present those things in a manner that, that could even be considered tantalizing? Yes. Is it possible that the brother who is seeking to help and to restore could in fact be stumbled by the things that they hear? And the answer is yes. And so here's Paul's, here's Paul's great caveat is that you restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but you got to watch yourself too so that you too are not tempted right? Romans chapter 15. This is, the, this is the famous passage, of course, from J. Adams' groundbreaking book, Competent to Counsel. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself I am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So Adams actually picks up on that able or you're competent. You're competent to do what? You're competent to admonish. You're competent to counsel. You're competent to help. And so here's, here's the, the, the reality. And we could look at, there, there are other texts that I have there for you. But the, the point is clear, is that a qualified, quote, counselor is simply somebody who is a Christian, who has the spirit, has a level of maturity, spiritually minded and knows the scripture. That person can be a tremendous help to somebody. Tremendous help. How many times are you going to run across an issue that somebody's struggling with that you have never even heard of before? It's very, very rare. The stuff that we deal with is the stuff that is common to man. Right? There's only been a a very, very small, (laughs) very small uh, handful of occasions where I've been like, wow, I've never heard that before. That makes up less than 1%. Most of the stuff, just common stuff. Common marriage problems. Right? Now, there are sometimes weird marriage problems. All right? 
But in a sense, the roots are common roots. Okay? Parenting. No, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I've got the kid that was birthed in Satan's bowels. Okay? Uh, You have a sinner, all right? You have a sinner. They may be extraordinarily difficult, but guess what? Um, You're not special, right? Sometimes we think our sin makes us special. Our sin actually just makes us rather ordinary, and so, some may pursue training, which I think is good. We, I think there are benefits to training. I would, I've encouraged that over the years to take classes or to go to the Summer Institute at Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. Why? Because there, there, can, be, uh, there can be a real advantage of actually learning from somebody. Um, let's, say, let's say you have somebody that really has spent a lot of time dealing with with grieving people. They've spent a tremendous amount of time searching the scriptures on grief. And uh, can you learn from somebody that actually has more experience and wisdom in a particular area? The answer is, of course. Um, Can you learn from people that, let's say, have dealt with uh, specific marriage issues? The answer is yes. And that's, in a sense, that's what training does. Training actually gets... uh, gets, um, you expose to certain issues that you can then deal with, in a sense, more effectively. Um, can we always learn more about uh, conflict resolution? Or do you have that down yet? I notice nobody thinks they have it down yet. All right. So there's always more to learn, and there's always more to learn from people that spend a lot of time doing that. But I just want to give a precaution for those that actually um, seek further training, and that is we just have to be careful that training doesn't lead to a sense of professionalism. Sometimes the person that that has some training under their belt, maybe even... um, some kind of certification, um, it can lead to sort of a professional approach. And biblical counseling doesn't thrive in a, under a professional approach, right? Sometimes the person who's trained can end up relying more on their training as a so-called expert than they end up relying on the Spirit of God and the grace of God and, and the Word of God. All right, and so although I think further training is good, it's helpful. I think that we have to be careful that there are certain pitfalls that we don't fall into. All right. Well, that's uh, all we're going to do today. Next week we'll look at the uh, presuppositions and then six characteristics of effective biblical counselors. So, uh, any questions as we um, as we wrap this up today? Tony. Yeah, those, yeah, those are two, those, by the way, those questions are obviously related to each other, right? Um, I think that one, you, just because a person knows the word and has the spirit, it doesn't always mean that they're the best person to deal with somebody, all right? Um, And so,
if I could quote one of my favorite Reformed theologians, Dirty Harry Callahan, a man has got to know his limitations, <laughs> all right? And so there have been, there have been plenty of times where um, over the years I've, I've called my friend Jim Neuheiser and said, hey, would you, would you mind talking to this person for me? I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know where to go from there, right? Jim's always been, um, although he complains, he says, you never send me anybody easy, um, like, well, if it was easy, then I would have done it. But, um, and so, so knowing your limitation and knowing um, that there may be something that's, that's impeding, right? So I just may not be the best person. Um, and then how do I know when I'm sort of, when, when, I'm, when I'm done, right? How do I know that? Um, I think that there's a sense where, you, you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you're saying the same thing over and over again. And so I'm just going to just tip my hand and just tell you that biblical counseling does not, um, does not always bear fruit in, in the sense of success. Okay? So is there any better biblical counselor than God himself? No. God gives Cain biblical counsel in Genesis chapter 4, you know, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen, right? Um, sin's crouching at your door. You have to master it, right? So God gives Cain the truth that he needed to confront his own heart in his anger towards his brother. And did Cain listen? The answer is no. Cain becomes the first murderer, right? So if God's counsel is rejected, um, we have to realize that that for for any kind and this this even just within the context of a friendship, if a person 's not willing to own up to their sin if they 're not willing to in a sense follow the scriptures right there 's only so much you can do, and there may just come a time where you go, you know what this is absolutely fruitless um, i'm we 're not getting anywhere and um, I met with a guy for a, a number of years and there was really very, very little change. And so I called him one day. I'd listened to a, a message by Paul Tripp on accountability. And um, he, he said, some of the people that will take up your time never intend to change, but they like spending time with you. Okay? So I called this guy and I said, hey, uh, you need to come in. So he was happy to come in. He comes in and um, sits down and... I said, um, I said, I love you. We're brothers, we're friends. I said, but um, not meeting with you anymore. This is a grown man. He, and, uh, and he starts crying. And he gets teared, teary-eyed. And uh, I said, you never, you never follow through. You never do the homework. You, you, you know, you've always got an excuse, but you're quick to meet. I said, so I'm tired of pursuing you and you not pursuing the truth. So we're done. And a week later, he called and apologized and said, I'm ready to change, right? And so sometimes, sometimes it's kind of being a little bit of tough love, you know? <laughs> and if, if, if you make a grown man cry, you're doing good. All right. <laughs> well, I hope this will be fruitful for us and, uh, and help us help each other. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this, this time. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in the body of Christ together and belonging to each other. And so we pray that you would help us as we think about these things, and we pray that you would meet us in the hour to come and that you would be glorified and that you would do 10,000 things we could never expect. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.